Chapter 46 of Fairy Fingers by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 46 A Mishap. Madeleine was accustomed to see Maurice at a certain hour every day, and looked forward to that period with such joyous expectation that a sense of disquiet, amounting to positive pain, took possession of her mind when the time passed without his making his appearance. She could not help reflecting how sad and long the days would grow when she could no more listen to his welcome step and feel her heart bounding at the sight of his handsome countenance, and yet such days must come and must be borne with the rest of life's burdens. That was his ring at the bell. Those were his firm, rapid steps. His face glowed so brightly when he entered the little boudoir that Madeline exclaimed, Your father must be better. You carry the news written in shining characters in your eyes. Maurice related what had passed between himself and Mr. Emerson, to whom he had just paid the promised visit, and concluded by saying, now, dearest Madeleine, I am enabled to repay your most opportune loan, but not able to tell you from what misery and disgrace you saved me. He laid a check upon the table as he spoke. Madeleine was silent and looked uncomfortable. Maurice went on. You cannot conceive my happiness at being so unexpectedly able to pay this debt though that of gratitude must ever remain uncancelled. At least, Maurice, I will not deprive you of the happiness, since it is one, and perhaps you will be more pleased when you know that this money will enable me to make the last payment upon this house, which will now become wholly mine. It has grown more dear to me than I imagined it could ever become, more dear through the guest whom it has sheltered, and the associations with which it is filled. I never thought of making it mine with so much joy. You will remain here, then. You will continue your occupation, asked Maurice. Yes, undoubtedly. But, persisted Maurice, do you not look forward to a time when you will have another home? I see no such time in the dim future, she returned, Perhaps I may become so rich that the temptation to retire will be very great, but as I cannot live unemployed, I shall first be obliged to discover some other, wider, nobler sphere of usefulness. But the home I mean, continued Maurice, with an air of desperation, is the home of another, the home of one whom you love. Do you not look forward to dwelling in such a home? Madeleine's no was uttered in a low tone, but one of unmistakable sincerity. "'How can that be?' exclaimed Maurice, at once troubled and relieved. "'Do not try to read the riddle, Maurice. You will be happier in setting it aside as one of life's great mysteries, which will be revealed in the great day. Will you listen to a new song which I have been learning?' "'Will I listen?' Will a hungry beggar gather the crumbs falling from a rich man's table? Madeleine laughed and seated herself at a piano. The new song only made Maurice desire to hear some of the old ones, and then other new ones, 
and she sang on until unexpected and startling interruption destroyed all harmony of the hour but that occurrence we will relate in due season we must first return to the hotel which maurice had left before his usual hour that he might pay a visit to mr emerson previous to calling upon madeleine the palatable delicacies which madeleine daily sent to the invalids always reached the hotel at an hour when maurice had promised to be at home robert had strict orders to deliver the salver to one of the hotel servants and never to appear before the countess this morning however the arrival of a large number of travellers had occupied all the domestics not a waiter was to be found robert was anxious to inquire about a silver milk jug which had not been returned he carried his salver to the door of madame de gramont's though not intending to enter the door happened to be open he could see that the room was occupied by count tristan who was asleep in his armchair and mrs lawkins she was the person whom he wished to see the temptation was too great to be resisted he entered with soundless feet and placed upon the table a salver bearing a bowl of beef tea two glasses of calf's feet jelly a plate of those normandy cakes which the countess had so much relished and a dish of superb white and red raspberries approaching his mouth to mrs lawkins's ear robert said in a whisper mrs lawkins i had to come in for you were just the person i wanted to see you never sent back the silver milk pitcher the milk pitcher replied mrs lawkins bless my heart you don't say so it's not here i hope it's not been stolen it must have gotten mixed up with the hotel silver and gone downstairs you'll be sure to hunt it up mrs lawkins i have said nothing to mademoiselle melanie mademoiselle Mel madeleine i mean but i am responsible as you know for all her silver i can't have what i bring here mislaid as you were here i thought it quite safe how is the poor gentleman ah not so well as he was under mademoiselle madeleine's care i'll see after the silver jug and keep a sharp lookout for the silver in future robert and mrs lawkins stood with their backs to the door of madame de gramont's apartment which opened into the drawing-room what was their consternation on finding the countess herself standing in the doorway her countenance was perfectly appalling in its white distorted wrath she strode towards the two abashed domestics and cried out in a voice which broke the count's slumbers and caused him to sit up in his chair with terror dilated eyes woman what is the meaning of this of whom are you talking whose silver is that pointing savagely to the salver and who are you mrs lawkins was dumb am i to be answered demanded the countess imperiously then she turned to robert whose silver is that whose silver did you say was missing mademoiselle de gramont's robert faltered out and mademoiselle de gramont has the unparalleled audacity to send her silver here for my use 
do you mean to tell me that this solver and what it contains are from her robert could not answer great heaven that i should endure this that a madeleine de Gramont should have the insolence to force her bounty by stealth upon me and that i should not have suspected her at once remove that solver out of my sight and if you dare mrs lawkins had now partially recovered her self-possession and interrupted the countess politely but very firmly madame you will do monsieur de Gramont great injury do you not see that you are exciting him by this violence who are you that you dare dictate to me leave this house instantly were you sent by mademoiselle de Gramont to institute espionage over me and my family go and tell your mistress that neither she nor anything that belongs to her shall ever defile my dwelling i shall watch better in the future i will not be snared by her low arts her contemptible impostures mrs lawkins though she was a mild woman loved madeleine too well to hear her mentioned disrespectfully without being roused to indignation affection for her mistress overcame her awe of the countess and she replied with feeling she is the noblest lady that ever walked the earth to bless it and her only art is the practice of goodness those who are turning upon her and reviling her ought to be on their knees before her this blessed moment didn't she nurse that poor gentleman night and day as though he had been her own father did she not bear all the slights put upon her by those who are not half as good as she yes that are not worthy to wipe the dust from her holy feet for all their pride didn't it almost break her heart when they forced the poor sick gentleman out of her house to cage him in this cold dreary place where his own mother takes about as much care and notice of him as though he were a hindu or a hottentot mrs lawkins was not strong in comparisons and don't he mourn the night through for mademoiselle madeleine crying out for her to come to him as i warrant he never did for his mother and isn't that mother murdering him at this very moment leave my house leave the house cried the countess in a voice that had lost its commanding dignity through rage leave the house i say do you dare to stand in my presence after such insolence yes madam i dare replied mrs lawkins coolly i am not afraid of a marble figure even though it has a tongue and there's not more soul in you than a piece of marble there's nothing but stone where your heart should be but even stone will break with a hard enough blow and perhaps you will get such a one before you die go i say go vociferated the countess to the door am i to be obeyed no madame replied mrs lawkins undaunted 
Not until I received the orders of Monsieur Maurice de Graymont. He placed me here, and here I shall stay until I have his leave to resign my duties. Count Tristan had caught his attendant's hand when he conceived the idea that she was to be sent away from him, and when she refused to leave him, he pressed it approvingly. I am mistress here, said the countess, with something of her former grandeur of bearing. Monsieur Maurice de Gremont has no authority to engage or discharge domestics, or to give any orders that are not mine. I will have none of Mademoiselle de Gremont's spies placed about my person. Go and tell her so, and say that after this last outrage, I will never see her face again. Would that I might never hear her name. She has been my curse, my misery. She shall never cross my path more. The Count rose up as if sudden strength were miraculously infused into his limbs. He raised both his arms towards heaven and wailed out, Oh, Lord God, bless her, bless her. Madeleine, good angel, Madeleine. The next moment he fell forward senseless and rolled to the ground. The countess was stupefied. She could not speak or stoop or stir. The alarmed housekeeper knelt beside him. Robert hastily set down the salver and lent his assistance. They lifted the count and laid him upon the sofa. The next instant Mrs. Lawkins saw his face, and the foam issuing from his lips, she exclaimed, it is another fit it is his second stroke lord have mercy upon him and upon you she continued turning to the countess solemnly for if he dies so sure as there is a heaven above us you have killed your own son the countess's look of horror softened the kindly housekeeper in spite of her just wrath and she added he may recover he has a great strength robert run quickly for dr bayard then she unfastened the patient's cravat and dashed cold water upon his head chafed his hands while his mother slowly awakening from her state of stupefaction drew near and bent over him but not a finger did she raise to minister to him she would not have known what to do so little were her hands accustomed to ministration so seldom had they been stretched out to perform the slightest service for any one even her own son we left madeleine chasing away all heaviness from the soul of maurice by her sweet singing she was still at the piano and he was still hanging over her when robert burst into the room he was a man almost stolid in his quietude, and his hurried entrance and agitated manner were sufficient to terrify Maurice and Madeleine before he spoke. Mademoiselle, it was my fault. Oh, if I had been more careful to obey your orders, it would have never happened. His contrition was so deep that he could not proceed. Has Madame de Gremont discovered who sent the salver? asked Madeleine with an air of vexation. That's not the worst, mademoiselle. The countess has found out how Mrs. Lawkins came there. He overheard us talking about the milk jug I missed. 
Madame de Graymont became very violent. She said things of you, Mademoiselle, that Mrs. Lawkins, who loves you like your own, couldn't stand it and gave her a bit of her mind, and Monsieur de Graymont was roused up also. He wouldn't hear you spoken against. He took on so it caused him another attack. Down he dropped like dead. My father, he has been seized again, and... Maurice did not finish his sentence, but caught up his hat. I've been for the doctor, sir, said Robert. He's there by this time. Maurice was out of the room, and hurrying towards the street door, Madeleine sprang after him. Maurice, Maurice, stay one moment. Oh, if I could have been near your father, if I could see him. My imprudence has been the cause of this last stroke, yet I feel that he would gladly have me near him. He would indeed, my best Madeleine, but my grandmother, alas, I have no hope of moving her. If her son were dying, persisted Madeleine, her heart might be softened. If he asked for me, she might let me come to him. It would soothe him, perhaps, and how it would comfort me. I shall be at the hotel nearly as soon as you are. I will wait in my carriage until you come to me and tell me how he is. Perhaps I may be permitted to enter if he asks for me. Do not forget that I am there. Did Maurice ever forget her for a single moment? As soon as Madeleine's carriage could be brought to the door, she followed her cousin. It was perhaps surprising that she was moved with so much sympathy for one whom she not only had good reason to dislike, but towards whom she had formerly experienced an unconquerable repugnance, but, with spirits chastened and purified as hers had been, a tenderness is always kindled towards those whom they are permitted to serve. The very office of ministration, the office of angels, softens the heart and substitutes pity for loathing, the strong inclination to regenerate for the spirit of condemnation. While Madeleine was daily ministering to the Count, she found herself becoming attached to him, and, with little effort of volition, she blotted out the past from her own memory. The action of Count Tristan's mind had been peculiar. When the discovery of his dishonorable maneuvering caused him a shock which planted the first seeds of his present malady, when he had fallen into the depths of despair, it was Madeleine's hand that raised him up, that saved him from disgrace, and saved his son from being the innocent participator of that shame. For the first time in his life, a strong sense of gratitude was awakened in his breast. Again, it was through Madeleine that the votes of so much importance to him, and which he had believed unattainable, were procured. She stood before him for a second time in the light of a benefactress. He had been seized with apoplexy while conversing with her. When reason was dimly restored, his mind went back to his last conscious thought, and that had been of her. Hence his immediate recognition of her alone. Her patient, gentle, tender care had impressed him with reverence. He was magnetized by her sphere of unselfishness, forgiveness, and goodness, and some of the hardness of his own nature were melted away. Count Tristan had practiced deception until he had nearly lost all belief in the truth and purity of others. 
had apparently grown insensible to all holy influences yet the daily contemplation of a character which bore witness to the existence of the most heavenly attributes silently undermined his cold scepticism and tacitly contradicted and disproved his creed that duplicity and selfishness were universal characteristics of mankind a creed usually adopted by him who sees his fellow-men in the mirror which reflects his own image madeleine had discovered some small not yet tightly closed avenue to count tristan's soul her toiling pardoning helping holy spirit had done more to lift him out of the bondage of his evil passions than could have been effected by any other human agency. End of chapter 46